Welcome to Bucks and Bales. This is where we'll talk to people about their archery journey and where they're at with it. It's a podcast about hunting and target archery and where life puts you on your archery journey. Current successes and failures and just all around life. Thank you for tuning in to Bucks and Bales, and if you'd like to connect, please email at bucksandbales at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Bucks and Bales, everybody, and this week I have a very good guest with me. His name is Rich DeSantis. He lives in Oregon, Western Oregon, and he has been hunting that neck of the woods his whole life. And boy, am I excited to have him here. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good, Zig. <laughs> good. Awesome. Say, uh, you know, I met you, I think I was on a Jeepers a Facebook page, and I had just moved over to Oregon. I just got done breaking my leg, and... I uh, I was putting out some feelers, just seeing how you guys hunt blacktails and stuff like that. And you actually piped in and gave me a few PMs, and then next thing you know, I saw you at church. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of developed a little bit of a relationship there. And uh, that summer, I think we went and we flung arrows together with a group of guys and stuff like that. And Rich is uh, definitely a plethora of uh, Western hunting information. So that's awesome. And uh, now that I got Rich here, you know, we get to probe him with some questions. So uh, I guess I'll start with the first one. You know, Rich, can you tell us a little bit about your archery history? Yeah, I grew up in Western Oregon, like you said. I'm fifth generation to this community, a little logging town on the coast here. Um, my dad obviously, you know, filled the freezer with animals. He wasn't an archery hunter though. So as I got into hunting on our, we lived on a 900 acre tree farm that a timber company owned. And I just hunted the timber with my little 30, 30 lever action. Um, some of my buddies started getting into archery hunting and Cameron Haynes was coming onto the scene and, um, the bow rack and these these guys were starting to build this culture around here and at the time there was just you know so you're looking at probably 1990 91 when some mm -hmm. of this stuff was happening and uh some of the old-time guys that i knew my dad's buddies were old-time archery hunters a couple of the guys that designed the first prototype stabilizer here locally and um there were some guys doing it but really very few but once those guys came on the scene i got interested you know and um mm -hmm. and i was hearing about success with the bow and so i ended up getting an old piece of crap bow an old beat up bow and big heavy aluminum arrows and kind of ran around in the woods for a couple of years chasing elk mostly at the time mm -hmm. um but yeah it was really just some guys like cameron haynes that were local guys um that were starting to build that culture i wouldn't say there was a lot of guys doing it back then you know you had your fred bear and those icons but just locally there was just a couple guys rick mumpower just a couple guys that hunted around here with the bow yeah um Kim, Kim and Jim Campbell, just some guys, you know, that were pretty famous local guys. Yeah. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to get into that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Did did you, uh, 
you know, where back then, you know, you got your old piece of junk and, and then fast forward to now, or are you shooting like traditional or compound or? Yeah, I still shoot. I've, I've never gotten into traditional, never owned one, never even shot an arrow other than the little stick bows you make as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been shooting Athens archery for years now. They're not very popular over here because you've got Bowtech, who's right here mm-hmm. in the valley, and some of those manufacturers have a lot of steam. But, you know, I've been shooting Athens archery for years now, and um, I just love their bows. So I don't foresee going to any other manufacturer anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. I do shoot friends bows and let them shoot mine, but I'm really confident in the equipment that I get from Athens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then like your, your arrow and broadhead setup, has that changed over the years? Oh, big time. Yeah. Um, you know, you started out with the old aluminum arrows and they were just heavy. You had a real slow bow and you lobbed these things out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it became this culture of lightweight speed. Everybody cared about the speed. So I was shooting like a 328 at one point, total weight, um, zipping them in there. And I don't have a long draw. I'm only a 28-inch draw. So I've got my challenges for speed there anyways. 70-pound um, bow, 28-inch draw. You're, you know, I was probably picking up 305 or 306, the fastest I ever was. Mm-hmm. Um then, then I got back into the heavy stuff, um, just that kinetic energy stuff. And um, I tend to shoot around 560 grains total. Um, I do have some mechanicals. Oregon just started making those legal, but I haven't shot them. But they're 200-grain mechanicals that are made here in Salem, Oregon, Valkyrie, Archery. Oh, um, but cool. I've been shooting his broadheads. Um, for a few years now and he designed them originally for black bear he's got some that are in the 300 grain range mm-hmm. um, i've shot i usually shoot about 250 anywhere from 180 to 250 grain um heads on my arrows oh okay that's pretty cool i'm i'm kind of in that same neck of the woods i'm in the you know 200 grain currently so yeah that's that it's kind of weird you know all those years of shooting light arrows and stuff it, it's just it's weird how after you start shooting animals how how different it is you know yeah and we're dealing with big game here i've got elk and bear you know you're dealing with a shoulder much larger than a deer yeah um and those light arrows you know i've seen seen them running off with an arrow sticking out and with these heavy arrows i can i can blow right through a bear shoulder through the heart and and just about shatter the far far shoulder too that's pretty Um, cool yeah, which is a game changer when you're hunting black bear here on the coast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, well, that's pretty cool. You know, nice to hear about, you know, how you kind of grew up with it and how you've kind of, you know, rolled with the times and, and what you're into now. Um, you, I was going to, I guess, uh, you know, your western hunting, I guess, uh, what what species do you have there? Or in, and what kind of, like what, uh, like when I was there, when I was a resident, you could get what was called back then a uh, sport pack. Do they still have that? They still have that, yeah. I've never purchased one, uh, mainly because I don't fish. And mm-hmm. you get that included, right? So you get your fishing package with it, and then you get your cougar tag. Um, mm-hmm. And I've never specifically gone out and tried to hunt a cougar. Mm-hmm. I've had run-ins with them, but I've never um, gone out and tried to hunt one. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't grab the sports pack, but they, they still sell it. And, um, and a lot of guys grab that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so what's they're spe- getting their elk tag, 
they're getting their Roosevelt elk, their black-tailed deer, their black bear, their cougar tag, um, and then they're getting their fishing license mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess let's talk about some of the species you got over there. You know, Roosevelt elk, um, you know, to those of us that are from the Midwest, you know, we we don't know the difference between uh, – uh, or at least the guys around here, they they don't really know the difference between like a Rocky Mountain elk and a Roosevelt elk. Could you explain that? Uh, most of the differences when I was growing up that I was told were just the size of the antlers. The Rockies are so much bigger, and then the bodies on the Roosevelt are much larger than than that. But anymore, as time's gone on and the way the herds are managed, I mean, they're killing killing local bulls that can rival you know they've just killed another 400 inch roosevelt just you know 50 miles east of me here uh last year Mm -hmm. which um is that's your state record you're getting over 400 inches that's state record but that's a roosevelt you know and um so that can rival with any rocky mountain in the state um but the the animals are large you know you're looking at 1100 pound bull um you can get a cow tag here too. So some folks are killing cows and they can be 800 pounds sometimes. So that's a pretty large animal. Yeah. That's huge. That is yeah. huge. And then your, your bears, I mean, you guys get huge bears. Yeah. You're looking at an average bear that's being killed around here is probably 200 to 250. That's probably what most guys are shooting. Um, guys with less experience or just not feel judging well might end up taking a small one you know 80 to 100 pounder on accident um it happens to guys but there's there's bears that are coming out of here that are 400 pounds you know there's there's uh a lot of the bears i've killed here i could see town from the hills there i could still look back and see the town oh really travel very far from town to kill a, a 400 pound boar oh wow that's pretty cool <laughs> and then uh what the heck you know uh People around here, I guess, they don't know what a black tail is. Um, you know, you get into your 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 deer, everybody around here talking about white tail and white tail subspecies and all that. I guess um, the Colombian black tail, which I've had the opportunity to chase those around, it's it's a ton of fun. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, Colombian black tail? What you know about them? Yeah, they're real elusive. Um, they're very secretive they're not they don't show their face you know if you're not hitting the rut which in oregon you tend to kind of catch maybe a day of it at the end of your rifle deer tag seasons and then when your late bow starts you've missed it you'll catch catch second estrus in the early december for a couple days but um you kind of miss the main part of the rut but when you catch them in the rut, you find these big mature blacktails coming out of the woods that you had no idea existed there. You know, I could have seven or eight cameras up in an area and never get a picture of one of these bucks. And then in the rut comes, there comes sniffing behind a doe and I, and I take a mature, you know, eight and a half year old blacktail that I had no idea even lived in those, in those woods there. Mm-hmm. So they're real tough to, to pattern. They don't move. They get up and most of the year these bucks are only traveling 100 yards in the day just to feed and lay back down so they're not wandering around Mm -hmm. um and there's not a lot of them around here the buck to doe ratio isn't real well here on in western oregon um so you gotta have a lot of patience to be able to um catch up to a big one Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do they let you shoot does over there can you draw a doe tag 
There's a couple of dough tags that you can draw, yeah. But it, you, when I was in, you know, when I was a kid in high school, back in the 90s, it was part of the last couple of days of season you could kill a dough or a spike. Um, and things have changed over the years. And mm. they have a couple dough tags. But um, just this year, they allowed you to start shooting spikes again. And I'm not really in favor of that personally mm-hmm. because the buck to dough ratio is so low anyways. But they they allowed you to shoot spikes this year um so some quite a few spikes i saw um were shot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But not, people aren't into the doe hunting they didn't you know i've been to illinois and they take pride in shooting what they were calling football heads these old big does mm-hmm. and um they were real proud of that and around here it's just frowned upon people um just aren't into it and i'm not real sure what the culture about that is but it's definitely not a popular thing to do Right. Well, it's it's a total different environment, you know, going from one place to another. And, you know, the um, one thing that people don't normally understand is when you go to Oregon, it is so vast. It is just, you know, it is endless land covered in woods. <laughs> and, and around here, we just don't have that, you know, and it it's... Um, it's a total different environment and you know like the logging and the clear cuts you know i that's a good food source for the deer especially in the elk and whatnot from what i hear is that true yeah the the logging is unfortunately logging's been curbed down with the the spotted owl issues in the 90s um i work as a timber cruiser for the u.s forest service we're still pulling a lot of trees off the forest but not clear cutting we're just thinning um there's private timber company around here and that's certainly where a guy would definitely look for a deer you know glassing clear cuts usually gated roads you can hike in there four or five miles and look at a lot of ground um and kind of run a gun with the binoculars and and pick some deer out Mm -hmm. um most guys are doing that guys like there's guys like me that just hunt timber um i sit in tree stands kind of much the same as the midwest um but yeah mostly clear cutting clear cut hunting and then i also live as you know um right here by the oregon dunes and there's a lot of deer running around on the sand dunes which is a really unique fun hunt people on the internet were always blown away when i was posting pictures with in the sand dunes and there would be uh, bucks you know out there and it was it's kind of its own different thing out there and it's pretty fun yeah and that's kind of actually like hunting around here because that's where i used to hunt is the sand dunes and you know, around here, you have to use a shotgun with a slug, and or you can, or archery. You know, and uh, it was kind of the same in the sand dunes. You know, a, a real neat experience. Yeah, you're running around out there, and then there's duck hunters with their shotguns. You know, 100 yards from you, <laughs> shooting at ducks. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much how it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that and uh, a lot of people don't know that, like the Oregon dunes, it's really famous for ATVs and scooters and bikes and utvs and all that stuff too yeah and you most people wouldn't even think about deer hunting the sand dunes it would never cross their mind that that would be a good place but it really is there's a lot of good thick cover out there amongst the sand and um there's a you know when the rut hits you can tell out there there's just ten thousand tracks everywhere Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah there's definitely some nice deer in there i'll tell you that yeah, and you'll catch them swimming the river into town sometimes during the rut. You you can see them swimming across this river. And that's um, to get, get yeah, to some that's local a big river. resident does. That's a big river. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it is. Um, wow, I didn't know deer swam across that bugger. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, so mostly, are you hunting like private land or public land? Because like, like around here, you know, public land. There's so much farmland around here that you know, if you find yourself a 250 acre piece of public land, that's oh man, you know, that's you know, everybody just pounds it and. Mm-hmm. Out, out in your neck of the woods, I mean, that's nothing, you know, like the, the public land is so vast. So I yeah, guess, right. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, do you hunt any private land or are you just able to go on public and not see anybody all day? Yeah. It depends on the species, you know, for elk, you're hunting national forests. So we've got 680,000 acres right here locally that is, um, public land. Mm-hmm. that there's not a lot of blm here that's all u.s forest service um there's a little bit of state and a little bit of blm but very little right so it's mm-hmm. you've got six hundred eighty thousand acres to hunt right there for elk deer bear um whatever you choose and most of the private land hunting done in the west is logging companies so it's it's not like private land usually is associated with some farmer that has some property mm-hmm. um it's not like that it's a bunch of clear cuts and you know, thousands of acres in one area that um, a timber company owns. And that's considered private land, but that's typically what most guys are hunting. So um, I have a few local folks that I know that let me hunt their land, specifically their private land um, for bear. That's where I do hunt bear, but I hunt elk on national forest and I hunt deer on um, timber company. Oh, okay. So like like a timber company, do you have to buy a certain permit or get written permission from them or how do you how do you normally do timber company land? It can be all of the above. Most of it's open for public access, walk in only. They don't they kind of don't want you driving around back there on a lot of it. So mm-hmm. you're just parking and walking. Um, which is good. It gets you away from some folks. You know, if somebody's there, you'll see a vehicle. Um, the warehouser offers a permit on some of their bigger tree farms where you can go in and purchase a permit um, and a key to the gate that'll give you, you know, access to tens of thousands of acres. Um, you can put in through the tribal land for a walk-in request and they'll honor it. Um, so a little bit of all of it, it just depends on what you're looking to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of years I'll just go put all of those pieces in place so that I have options. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good idea. Just, just keeping ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, Cause you never know where you're going to end up on any given day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, I guess, you know, archery hunting can be tough. Um, Your terrain features, you know, for, let's say, for instance, you might even have to break it down into species because there is no species created equal. But I guess for each species, what what kind of terrain features are you looking for? Um, Elk, you know, they're they're looking for a food source like anything. So you got, when you've got herds of up to 100 elk here, they do break up a little bit in the rut when they get pushed around by the mature bulls, but those big herds have to have places to feed. So they're hitting some of that private ground down the big ranches and farms and they're congregating down there. So usually you've got forest service or um, timber company budding up to that. So you're hitting, hitting the hills and the canyons right outside of those feeding areas. Um, and it's, you know, you're, I'm at the coast, I'm staring right at pretty much the mouth of the jetty at the ocean here. And if I go 
I only got to go about three miles inland and I could hit 750 feet. So, it, you know, you got a lot of hilly stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, the elk are coming out of the bottom one thirds of these canyons where there's a bench somewhere because they elk won't bed on a steep slope. That's one thing you can count on. They, they're not like a deer. The deer here will bed on the steepest slopes here just behind a tree or a stump the elk need a flatter surface they're such a big animal so they're they're bedding on benches feeding out in fields and you're catching them in between in these canyons during archery seasons in the summer so you're looking at weather patterns affecting that if it's really hot they're going to be deeper down in the bottoms where it's cooler Mm -hmm. um, and so forth but they'll also be hitting wallows if you know where those are at um, for deer, yeah, they're out here on these steep, steep slopes. Um, they're just hiding on the hillside. You just got to really pick them apart. Or on the sand dunes, they're they're hiding in some thick cover here. Um, mm-hmm. So you got to kind of push them out of there. Um, bears are pretty much everywhere here. Um, even here locally, there's been years where they've had to eradicate 30 bears just in one year here in the city limits with these oh. nuisance bears coming into town. Yeah. Um, those guys are all over the place. They're anywhere there's food, blackberries, dandelions. Um, I catch them early spring. We have a spring tag. So a guy could get three bear tags here a year if he hits it right. You can get your spring bear tag, you get your fall bear tag, and then you get your additional fall bear tag. Um, and so they kind of, in early spring, I hit the swamps where they're coming out and feeding on the edges of the swamp and the grasses. They're grabbing possums nutria frogs they're eating a little bit of protein there um and they hit that first and once the dandelions start coming on as spring starts getting better they start moving into the clear cuts and then once again in the late fall they start moving back down into the farmers areas and eating grass mostly and catching some fish yeah no that's cool and i i just remembered how many bears were there? It was just crazy. My mother-in-law, she lived in, in city limits, and she had one living in her backyard. And then I remember just, it's not like around here, I guess, because, you know, you go to northern Minnesota, you don't usually see bears. You know they're there, but you don't just see them all the time. When I was in rural Oregon, you can just drive around and see bears. Yeah, I could probably feel confident that any given evening I could head up in the woods and go find a bear. Yeah. Um, go go glass a bear up on a hillside somewhere, mm-hmm. or catch them in the road. It, you, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're they're really thick here. Especially, I probably live in this the southwest unit here in Oregon is probably the best place to black bear hunt in the state of Oregon. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, big good population, good healthy population of them, and and whatnot. And um, you you guys can't bait them like we can around here though correct yeah you, there's no baiting allowed um for them or cougar you can't run hounds on them um so you're just trying to figure it out you know you got to know where they're going to be and feed um and you're just catching them in feeding grounds um so there's a it's a little tougher but what it has done is it's grown bigger bears you know it's getting a six foot bear pretty much every year if you know what you're doing around here you're going to get a six foot bear that's 350 pounds because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of mature boars because we're, we're not able to aggressively hunt them mm-hmm. and then as far as like like non-residents maybe you don't know because you've already always been a resident but for non-residents is it fairly easy to get a tag for a elk black, blacktail or a bear in in the western side of oregon 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's easy, but I run into guys in the woods. You know, it's like it's pretty friendly around here. You run into somebody in the woods and you stop and talk for a minute, and you'll see somebody with California license plates or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and you talk to them, and they've drawn uh, mostly cow tags. So they're get they're getting these um, cow tags and coming up and hunting. Um, but I don't know if it's easy or not, to be honest with you. I know I do run into every year. I run into somebody hunting from out of state. So we definitely have tags offered to folks, um, to come hunt. Um, and, and I see them out there every year. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, when I went over there, everything that I bought was, it was, it was very unique. I I think I got an elk tag. This is 10 years ago already, but I got an elk tag. That's what I was hunting when I was over there. And that was I think in the five to seven hundred dollar range, and it was an over-the-counter tag, and it just depended on which unit you were in as to whether you could shoot a bull or a cow. That's for out of state. Yep, yep. And then, yeah. uh, you know what? What astounded me though is the cougar tag was only fourteen bucks back then for a non-resident. For a non-resident. Yeah, they they just they didn't care what if you shot one of those or not. <laughs> yeah, and we're looking at. Um... You know, for a local guy to go get your tags. Like I said, I can get three bear tags. I can get two deer tags if I draw one of them. I get my general season, and then I could get a draw tag. There's a couple tags out there. So some years I have two deer tags. That's all they'll allow you. And then elk, you, you're only going to get one elk tag, and then you could potentially get a leftover tag and have a second elk tag. Um, and we're paying, you know, I'm paying 19 bucks or something for a bear tag and – around 40 bucks for an elk tag is what we are as residents mm-hmm. that's a great value <laughs> yeah i think so so you know you're you're doing all this hunting you're walking all these hills and i guess people don't really know western oregon is pretty chiseled um what are you doing to keep in shape for all this well i think you're just it's just part of living here i mean even your yard might be on a hill here Mm -hmm. um, or hiking around in the sand dunes, you know, just going to the beach. Um, I personally have an occupation where I'm in the hills every day. So I'm just up and down the mountains all day long. But um, I think the guys here are are unintimidated by the hills, you know, to, you know, you're going to have to, all the roads are on the tops of the ridges. There's very few in the bottoms because those are our fish runs and they don't have roads in them. So Mm -hmm. you're going from the top of the mountain down to the bottom and up and down a few times in a day. And I think guys are very unintimidated by that, that live here. When people come here, some of them are, uh, just like really intimidated by it mm-hmm. and then you hear them talk about eastern oregon oh those hills are so huge we go to eastern oregon and we're like wow this is like easy walking the hills are much higher but there's no brush and it's just open and it's easy going and mm-hmm. um yeah i guess i don't think i think you just got to get out there and you you go you know you get on an elk and, and you just let the elk take you where it wants to go there's there's a lot of places around here that I avoid altogether, like the plague, because there's no reason to drop in there. So you kind of knowing where the local game herds are really helps because you could end up in some really brushy stuff. There's lots mm-hmm. of days here where you'll be on your hands and knees for half a day, just climbing under the brush. You're just pushing your way under it, maybe even army crawling mm-hmm. to get through areas. Um, yeah, I remember that. It was really thick, and and there's times when you're exactly right. You're on your hands and knees. You're pushing your bow along. You got your backpack on, and you're you're going along for a long ways because 
You know, I mean, you're part of Oregon. I mean, you guys get over 100 inches of rain every year, don't you? Yeah, we get like 115 here where I live. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's wet. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the... the you know, you talk to all the, it's it's a good sales tactic, I guess. You know, all these people that drink all these protein shakes and everything else and, you know, Western hunting and all that. You know, I mean, there's a there's a heck of a market for uh, getting in shape for your Western hunt, you know, even, even with us flatlanders that don't know how to climb hills. <laughs> yeah, they've got, you know, and they market it. You know, you've got your lift, lift run, shoot type market ads and, um, mountain ops and all these companies that are, they've tried to turn, you know, they've turned it into this, uh, athletic thing. It's a sport. They're, they're making it a sport, you know, which, um, is fine with me. Uh, there's, there's competitions, you know, where they're in, you know, you're doing CrossFit games with shooting bows and other things mm -hmm. and packing weight. Like you had an animal on your back. Um, and it, guys are taking it serious these days. There's guys that are in the gym just to up their hunting game here. I'd say primarily elk, right? You're chasing elk for miles a day once you get on them and jumping them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, there's there's definitely a market and people are catering to that. There's gyms that are just a bunch of hunters in there hitting the weights and um, a lot of CrossFit type stuff. But that's that's what guys are doing because people do want to come hunt the west and they they feel like you're saying they need to be in shape the guys that live here I, i'm not i wouldn't consider myself in shape um at 50 years old but i can go up and down these hills all day long you know and um mm -hmm. it's just a mindset really at that point right you know yeah yeah and you know you're used to it and like you said you're not intimidated by it no right um you know i guess Say I was going to go on a Western hunt, you know, what, what type of equipment do you make sure you have, you know, either on you or at least in the truck normally, you know, if you're going to go after elk or deer out in the hills and woods of Oregon? Yeah, that's a great question, Ziggy. Um, and I've got, you know, through the, via the internet, especially in the early days when you and I connected, you know, I'm one of those few people that are willing to actually help others, you know, um, I don't discourage people coming from out of state. There's some local mentality where they just don't like other people hunting their woods. And I've never been that guy. And I've helped a lot of folks, even from other countries, come here and hunt. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy the camaraderie of that. But things that one of the biggest things that, like for me, working in the woods every day is the abundance of water. You hit on it. The amount of rain we get. There's fresh water running out of every hill out here. That water's safe to drink here. Um, you don't drink out of the out of the river, but every stream in the hill up there, there's not beavers ponds. There's not those types of things that contaminate water. So you don't need to pack a bunch of water. I see these guys come over and they've got camelbacks full of all this water and weight, but you could stop and get a drink every 150 yards. Um, so I don't pack much water at all. I just bring a container maybe to fill up a little bottle and drink that stop at the next creek and hit some more um compass now guys are using gps's but it was always a compass back in the day um you kind of got to know where you're going you could get turned around real easily there's not a lot of roads um but the roads are on top that's my biggest advice is if you get turned around go up you will hit a road hmm. a lot of guys are taught when their kids oh follow the streams out and you could be walking those for weeks before you ever come out somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, 
I would say really you need a good pair of boots. Um, I like to use what we call cork boots. It's what we use in the woods here, logging, you know, with spikes on the bottom. That's mm-hmm. pretty much what I use most of the time. Um, so you got good traction. You can run up a log. Um, you can do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you might want some rain gear. You know, it can rain on any one of the seasons. It can start raining, and it's it's not always comfortable when you're wet. You know, mm-hmm. it can uh, probably the biggest downfall is it might cause you mentally to head back to the truck early because you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I would say a, a packable pair of rain gear, um, oh, okay. a headlamp. You're going to need it. <laughs> you end up down in the bottom a lot. Chasing elk, you're not just going to walk away from them. Um, so you might end up end up a day and it's getting dark and you're in the bottom of a canyon. So a headlamp is a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've walked out of the woods too many times with no headlamp and it's really pretty challenging. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we used to take maps before the GPSs, so I always printed me a map and I had a map of just that specific maybe six, seven mile radius area and I had a map for that area, an aerial photo on it so that I kind of knew where I was going. Um, but anymore, you know, they've made it easy for guys with GPSs and your phone has all that technology. So it's, I think a guy's in pretty good hands if, you know, he's downloading his maps before he heads out of the truck onto his phone. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in pretty good hands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all always good to know. And it sounds like really good gear to have. I remember I had most of that stuff when I was out there. Yeah, a good pack board or a good pack frame um, pack system. You know, you're going to have a lot of weight to pack out. If you shoot an elk, you're dealing with, you know, you're going to end up with, shoot, 250 pounds of just burger meat after you break an elk down. And, um, you know, you're looking at 100-pound packs out of there, and you're going to have to make three or four of them. Just the head and cape is is going to be up around that. Mm-hmm. So you just really need a really good pack. You know, you got something that you can strap on. You don't want to be down in there, even on a blacktail, you know, you don't want to be back in four miles behind a gate, shoot a deer and not have a way to get it out of there. Um, so you, you know, you want to be, have a good set of knives, a good pack, a good understanding how to break an animal down fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, those are a necessity. You know, too many times I get phone calls every year where a buddy needs help packing an animal out at nine at night. And you're thinking, why didn't you pack that thing out after you shot it? Because he didn't have the right setup. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Getting a, That's a fun phone call sometimes, but it's, you know, sometimes we got to make that phone call too. <laughs> yeah, and we always go because it's always a good story. Oh, yeah. You know, it's always fun looking for a guy in the woods in the middle of the dark somewhere. Yeah, that's why it's always good to watch like the uh, some of the local guys around you that that make videos. I think it's born and raised outdoors. I mean, they do not sugarcoat it when they're packing an animal out. <laughs> yeah, it's work. Yeah, and that's why you're you know the the culture here is if you pack out, you're they give you twenty five percent of the meat. That's an unspoken culture. That's your tip. That's your buddy bro deal. Is he's going to give you you know a pretty good little chunk of meat for helping him get that animal out of there. That's, that's a, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. And guys are always willing to help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to take a group of guys. You're not packing an elk out by yourself. (laughs) Right. It's not happening. (laughs) Nope. Um, so I guess, you know, there's some unique laws, I guess, 
going between like from here to Oregon. One of one of the main laws, I guess, that's it's really been up in arms around here because they just made uh, crossbows legal for the entire archery season this year in Minnesota. And I was curious, can you guys even hunt with a crossbow there still? No, I've never even seen a crossbow in Oregon. Like even anybody having one, I saw one in Illinois once and shot one mm-hmm. um, just for fun. But no, we can't use crossbows here. They're completely illegal. Correct. Okay. All right. And then you were say you were talking about just um, you know the dogs and stuff like that. You, can't use and that's pretty much the same as around here and stuff like that and when i was over there you couldn't use you know expandables but you said they just became legal yeah when i a couple things when i went to illinois it must have been five six years ago or more probably um they were using lighted knocks and expandables and things that we uh, weren't accustomed to so we did try it out a little bit um just shooting around in the yard in the middle of the day checking things out um oregon did allow expandables here in the last year a couple years two years um to be legal now so expandables are legal and lighted knocks they allowed a couple years back um so you're seeing more and more guys using that type of equipment um Mm -hmm. they won't allow you to put anything electronic on your bow so i can't put like a little video so these guys self-filming and stuff don't have the luxury of putting a little camera on to their stabilizer or their bow or a rangefinder or anything electronic that's illegal Mm -hmm. um they they're not allowing us to use scent for deer and elk now they just made that a rule that that's a tough one for me because i always and i always used um like the tarsal gland off a previous buck i would take that with me the next year after having it in the freezer all year Mm -hmm. um and you could go buy some good scent um and for elk too it was pretty effective way to mask your smell well they're not allowing that the dogs you can't bait or dog for cougar or bear so that makes it really tough to go out and kill predators Mm -hmm. um taking away your your best chances so there's there's a few of these rules you know and they're always messing with the rules Uh, the consensus here in oregon is that the state doesn't do a good job managing these animals but that's probably how a lot of people feel in their states too yeah yeah it does uh can you use a dog to track them after you've already sent an arrow through it or not you're not supposed to, but there, but I, I mean, there's no, there's, you can go in the woods with your dog. So, I mean, at the end of the day, there's ways that you could do probably stay legal, but mm-hmm. it's, you can't just go grab your little dog and go find the animal though. No. Oh, okay. Um, which yeah. makes no sense. You know? Right. They, they actually yeah. just made that legal here. It was either two or three years ago. They made it legal so you could, it had to be on a lead line, you had to wear orange, and you, uh, whatever. But anyway, they, this, this dog tracking thing is really starting to, uh, really help everybody out around here. You know, I mean, we're able to, you know, I mean, if you have a marginal hit, which everybody has those, um, you know, you can, you know, call up a guy with a trained dog and by golly, get your trophy. Yeah, because, you know, it's any guy that bear hunts here is lost bears. It's they're so tough. Mm-hmm. They they don't bleed. You poke a hole through them and then all the fat just plugs the hole 
just greasy bare fat is just like wet butter mm-hmm. and it just plugs the hole and i mean you just can't find these things in the brush i mean it's tough and like if it, it makes no sense that they wouldn't allow you uh, an opportunity to recover the animal that you've you've shot because it's you know, most of your archery shots here are 20 yards or less mm-hmm. because of, of the viney maple and the other brush that you're encountering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you go try to find a bear that went into the thickest stuff after you stuck it and try to find it is it's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah, well, that's a bummer. But, uh, yeah, like, I was guess I was also going to ask, you know, on how many, you know, some of your hunting stories, too, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit, but, um, you know, overall your you know, your hunting experience, like you said, you've, you've mainly hunted in the Oregon area, right? Yeah. I, I, like I said, I've been hunting since I was in high school here locally. Um, I made a trip to Illinois with a group of guys. Um, we had taken the owner, roosevelt elk hunting on the coast and in favor of that he asked us to come hunt his his farm in illinois and murfreesboro so we did um i went to new zealand and hunted some animals with my bow and killed a killed a stag and a era power ram and a south pacific billy goat while i was on that trip but i've done all my hunting here locally i've been to the east side of the state twice in my life hunting that's all draw tag over there for the most part um but there's so many animals that live here where we live that you'd be driving by animals to go hunt animals somewhere else. It just never really made any sense to me. You know, like why would I drive by five herds of elk leaving town to go hunt elk, you know, on the east side of the state? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, that's good thinking. <laughs> might, as well, might as well hunt the elk you got right there. Yeah, you don't. You could be five minutes from town and you could be, you know, you're out of your truck hunting some some huge Roosevelt elk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, one thing, I guess, um, that really interested me about you is, you know, you mentioned one time that, you know, sitting in a stand and hunting that, that vast territory that you're in, you know, doing what is similar as whitetail tactics that we use in the Midwest, you have done that out there and have had quite a bit of success with it can you tell me a little bit about that yeah um you know starting out hunting on timber company land with my 3030 was just creeping through the timber and just kind of slow working your way through there and maybe sitting on a game trail and you'd catch something coming through why the rest of the guys were out hunting clear cuts and I did that for years and I was successful, but I would do a lot of sitting and my dad always could never understand how I had the patience to just sit on a deer trail for two weeks. And then, but every year I would kill a deer and he was always so impressed that I had the patience and persistence. Um, but over time, you know, I, my buddies would see 40, 50 deer, you know, and then I was seeing three or four. And so I, I started hunting clear cuts. Um, but I did that for a few years and I just, it's fun and I enjoyed it, but I really missed the, the intimacy of being in the timber where you're just kind of sitting silent and, and you know that you're on an animal trail and eventually they'll walk by. So I, I gave my hand at tree stand hunting and nobody was doing it around here. You know, there were really nobody. And mm-hmm. 
the second I started getting up in the trees, I started seeing more animals. This is just sitting in the timber, you know, and I started seeing animals or even on the dunes. I would hang a tree stand because you see the tracks everywhere, but you don't see the animals. They're just, they're too fine tuned here. They're just on to you. They're mm-hmm. very, um, they're just always on edge and they're, they're just aware. But I got up in a tree and I started seeing animals and I started having success. Um, a couple years I did it for elk and did some ground blind hunting too, which not too many people were doing. But I mean, I would choose a, tr- a tree stand over a ground blind every time. Mm-hmm. And so now it's that's just how I hunt. I hunt bears locally out of the tree. I hunt deer, and um, I'll still chase elk around on foot because it's a good time. Um, but deer and deer and bear, I'm in a tree, and um, you know I'm just getting. You don't have to get too high up. I'm only twenty, twenty five feet, and I just sit there. And sometimes it takes me uh, one particular bear. I sat twenty two nights in a row before I had a chance at this bear. And then there's other times where like this season i climbed up in the tree i had very little time within an hour i had a nice three-point buck underneath my tree stand that i could have killed that i i, I chose not to shoot because i wanted the time in the woods but um there was an opportunity why the rest of my buddies were um struggling to find a buck this year mm-hmm. um so yeah it's really changed the, the way of the game for me and i've a lot of my buddies have kind of gotten into it too as they've gone out with me. So there's a, a good core group of guys here that are hunting out of the trees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And <laughs> it, it gives, uh, gives some of us Midwesterners a little bit of, uh, relief, you know, just to know that that's, that's possible anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I know when you were here, you know, when we went out and shot on the sand dunes, you were sitting in trees out there too. I was also out there a few times in some trees, but I had some other setups out there too. But, you know, and as we spoke before the podcast here today, you're telling me how you saw a lot of deer and, you know, you were probably seeing more deer than the other guys on foot out there, I'd imagine. Hmm. Yeah, it was some good hunting. I'll tell you that there's, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, well, I guess, gosh, you know, I'll take a short break here and then we'll start re-recording um but yeah ladies and gentlemen we're going to take a short break and uh we'll be right back welcome back everybody we took a little break there and uh yeah rich and i were talking while we were on break and you know we gotta hear a couple hunting stories (laughs) so rich you were telling me a a little bit of a story about a couple blacktails could you please tell us that story front to back yeah, it was one of the, the rare years. It's about every three years that you can draw this additional buck tag. And I had it that year, so I, I was hunting. So here in Oregon, um, they changed it a few years back where during rifle season you can use any weapon. And I was a archery hunter, so I started the dates, like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, a couple last days of the season tend to get a little ruddy around here so those are good times but they started letting you use a bow so i started grabbing that general rifle tag and i would hunt with my bow the previous year i'd shot um a nice buck in this pocket of timber with my bow this particular year i got up in the tree and i had my 300 rum with me um and it was a really cold morning on the top of this mountain and the wind was blowing really hard and i was up there for a few hours a couple small bucks came sniffing through some does came out and fed um there was a little bit of activity but nothing that i was looking for but i got super cold up there 
as and super cold is relative to you guys out there in Minnesota. I mean, I I wouldn't be able to make it one day in the woods out there with the temperatures you guys deal with. But you know, it was up there and it was about twenty four degrees and the winds blowing and you got a lot of humidity in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got real cold and so I got down out of the tree, which is really a no no for me. I just I think it's a really stupid mistake, but there's times when you do it and mm-hmm. so I climbed out of the tree and I just kinda took a short little walk through the timber to warm up a little bit. Um and it's, I it's better than dying. Go ahead. <laughs> it's better than dying. <laughs> yeah. I was freezing, you know, and I couldn't do anything about it. I yep. had a heated under layer on and everything and I my toes were cold, my hands were hurting so Mm. i took a short walk to get the blood pumping and then i um kind of told myself you know i need to quit moving around because i know better you know they'll they'll catch you every time so i sat down on a stump and i pulled out my phone and i had a bible app on there that i'd been um reading some stuff out of so i started reading out of my bible app and Mm -hmm. the wind was still blowing pretty hard i had a beanie on over my ears but i i heard what sounded like a couple horns hitting and i thought that's that's two bucks there's no doubt in my mind that's two black tails fighting so mm-hmm. i pulled the beanie up a little bit and i stood up and i listened in the wind and heard it again and i said that is two bucks so i started creeping up through the the timber there and i kind of passed this little trail that i knew i'd see deer jumping this fence all the time this old fence that was along a power line corridor mm-hmm. so it was a pretty well-used trail i walked up past it and then I kind of talked to myself into, you know, you better just sit still, quit moving around. The bucks are here. And right when I did that, I seen a big white face staring at me in the timber. And he was about 30 yards from me. And it was just the face of this big white buck. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled up the gun, put it on his throat, and I shot him. And he spun in a 180 and kind of disappeared into the brush. And I thought right on, and it didn't matter what he was because I had two tags. One tag was good for any deer. This extra buck tag is good for any deer. And this was 100% mm-hmm. a buck, but, you know, you know what their faces look like. But I didn't see what his horns were. It was just pull the gun up, shoot him. Mm-hmm. I walk over there, and uh, it's a three-point buck, a nice little three-point. Around here, that that's a six-point. in there that morning. <laughs> right, and and. Around here, they don't know, like, your terminologies, I guess. Three points on each side. Yeah, this was <laughs> three points three points on each side plus eye guards. So I guess in your terms, that would have been an eight-pointer. Yeah, right? yeah. But, you know, you're, you're using the proper terminology, but around here, they don't know that. <laughs> yeah, so it was, I guess, what... Three, three by three with eye guards. We call that a three point. I walked up on him and I noticed he was the same buck I saw when I was driving in there in the morning. Mm-hmm. I had the gun in the back seat unloaded, traveling in, and I saw this buck chasing a doe through there. And I, I parked the truck real quick and tried to get the gun out and loaded and try to get a shot on him before he disappeared into the woods. Couldn't get the shot. So I walk up and there he is. And I couldn't believe it. I said, there's that same buck. Um, and half of his one side of his horn was busted off and it was fresh so i was sitting there admiring this thinking how crazy is that i just heard him fighting another buck and then i heard some leaves rustling and i looked up above me and about 20 yards above me is um this big rack coming through the brush head down sniffing and i pulled up and shot it and it was it's the biggest buck i've killed to date and it was a five by four with eye guards so i guess that'd be nine ten eleven points wow Um, 
Yeah, and you don't see five-point bucks that often, blacktails. They, they, you see them occasionally on the Internet that somebody killed. But here laid these two bucks, you know, 30 feet apart. Um, mm-hmm. and I drug the one up to the other one and got some grip and grin pictures. And it was a, just a really cool story. But it was just a magical day in the woods, you know. Um, <laughs> those days you dream about, really. Really? How did you, how did you end up getting both of those deer out of there? I broke them down and then it's that particular area. I didn't have to drag that far. So I was able to get them up to an old dirt road up above me in the timber. The bigger one was all I could do to even get it to move. The smaller three point I was able to grab. And, you know, it's probably those deer are only 125 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, The bigger five by four was probably just over 200 and it was up a little bit of a slope. So I, I was pretty beat by the time I got him just a hundred yards up to this old cat. We call it a cat road. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get my truck and four wheel drive down in there a little ways and get him to the truck. I couldn't get him into the back of the truck. So I had to call a friend that lived in the area and he came up there and helped me get the, the buck in the back there. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was, I have a lifted Chevy and it was, there was no way I was getting him up in the back. Yeah. Um, and I and the taxidermist wanted me to bring him in whole because he wanted to do the caping on him. I called him right after I shot him and told him, "Man, you ain't gonna believe this buck I just got. It was a dandy." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a a really nice day in the woods. You know, it's one of those days you double up. And we've had some fun days in the woods in my lifetime, but that one was right up there with uh, one of the best ones. Wow, to get two of them in one day—that's that's crazy. Especially, I mean, there's guys that go a really long time and they're, and they're not able to even get a buck like the smaller one you got that day. I remember seeing the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's tough out here. I mean, there's guys that don't do well and there's guys, you know, I do well at blacktail and bear, but I'm not really great at the elk, you know, and there's some of my buddies are always get an elk and, the, and they don't always get a, a buck. So it's, it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of luck involved. And, um, mm-hmm. and then your tactics, everybody has different ones, but you mm-hmm. know, I've, I've been skunked a few times um, deer hunting here. This year I was skunked by choice. I chose not to shoot the animal um, in the same pocket. I've shot the last five deer out of the same tree. Those two deer ended up dying right underneath the tree stand that I had in there. Um, mm-hmm. But I've shot my last five blacktails out of the same tree there. Um, but I let one go this year twice that um, I just felt like I, I could do better. As You know, that 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 deer will be there next year mm-hmm. and i was enjoying the little bit of time i had to sit in the tree i didn't feel like pulling the trigger so i just observed him watched him filmed him and just had a really good day in the woods just watching him come through a couple times um but yeah that was that was up there i've had some good memories bear hunting there's been lots of encounters mm-hmm. uh one year i was i was deer hunting I drew the Applegate blacktail tag. That's, in my opinion, the best tag here in the state of Oregon for blacktails. Mm-hmm. It's a muzzleloader hunt during the rut in southern Oregon. And I was down there hunting. I filled my tag, and my hunting partner still had his tag. So he had a couple of days left to hunt. And so I, I had my fall, um, fall bear tag, and it's yeah. good for all the way down there. So I sat in the same pocket of trees and um, had my muzzle loader, and right before dark, a pretty nice black t- uh, black bear come down through the draw, and I shot him with my 50 cal, mm-hmm. and he took off running up into the draw, and it was just getting dark. So I 
I was in a little doghouse, um, ground blind, just a little one man, small little thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I got out of there and reloaded my muzzle loader and headed up over to where I'd shot him. And there was a little bit of blood there. And, uh, I started working up through the draw and there's a lot of blowdown and stuff, trees laying across it. And mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing much sign and I was starting to get kind of worried thinking, dang, I would have thought he'd be laying here by now. Um, he was only about 40 yards out in front of me and I shot him with my 50 cal night. Mm-hmm. And so I, it got dark on me and I pulled on my headlamp, um, and I was working up just pretty much hands and knees at this point, just trying to find a drop of blood and kind of lost the trail at the fork of a draw there and looked and looked and looked and was about to give up. And I caught a little piece of blood on a little white log going up the left stem of the fork. And so I climbed over that piece and I heard something and I looked up above me and I seen two little eyes up there and it appeared to be like a raccoon or something Mm because they looked really um, close together. And then uh, I was kind of working my way up towards it and then it spun around and looked and it was a, a giant black bear and it was swinging its head back and forth. And it, I said, Oh crap. And it, I threw up my muzzle loader on it and it started coming down the draw and I couldn't see through my peep because my headlamp was shooting out to the side. Oh. It wasn't shooting up through my peep sight and at, at my um, sight. So I couldn't see my fiber optics. We're not allowed to have a scope or anything on our muzzle loaders. It has to be an open sight here and an open breach. Mm-hmm. Um, this bear's coming down the draw at me in the pitch black and I throw the gun down and I shoot from the hip and the recoil of my 50 cal flies back and knocks my um headlamp off my head oh no and i all i hear is all kinds of commotion and thrashing around just literally 20 yards in front of me and i'm spinning around trying to grab my headlamp off the ground and i as i'm spinning around trying to grab it the light's moving with me and i realized that it was hung up on the back of my pack that i was wearing so it never (laughs) actually fell off to the ground you're right and as I, and I'm freaking out at this point, I'm thinking, oh, geez, I'm a bear snack here. And it's coming, it's making all kinds of noise coming at me. And I, just in time, I throw it over back in front of my face and I see the tail end of this bear running up through the trees, going the other direction now. And I just kind of scooted out of there and I um, got back to where we were renting this little cabin and told my hunting partner. And mm-hmm. so in the morning, we went to go look for the bear. So now I've hit it twice. But as we're following the blood trail up there, the blood trail forked, and it ended up being two different bears. So the bear I had shot had gone up that draw, and this other bear was on his trail, probably going to take him down. So Mm -hmm. he was following his blood trail, and then I got in the way of that, and it came after me. But it was one of those few times that I've had a black bear actually get aggressive on me. Um, And it was scary. It was was pretty, pretty exciting, to say the least. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So did did you end up finding either one of them or we did not. We tracked ourselves as we were so the, what we were doing was following the one blood trail and then he goes, "Here's blood over here." And I go, "Oh, okay. Well, I got blood right here on this side of the trail." I said, "Okay, so now I got a pass through or I hit it on either side of it and it's bleeding on both sides." So we still believed it was the same bear for a while. And all of a sudden when the blood trails split, we put it together that it was two different bears. And so he said he'd stay on the left one. I stay on the right. 
and I got um, a mile and a half up the ridge. So now I'm almost at the top of this mountain, worked my way through a lot of stuff I crawled through, would find a drop of blood or a piece of hair occasionally, and eventually lost the trail way up there. And he pretty much did the same thing. He he was about a mile from our last spot we were together, and he, he was losing sight of this bear. And it was a cinnamon bear he was following. I was mm-hmm. following one that had black hair. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, it just another testament to how tough these animals are. I killed a bear one time, and it had 22 different um, bullets in it that were all, like, 17s and 22s that was kind of living. We lived outside of town. It was a neighborhood nuisance bear, but mm-hmm. I ended up shooting it back in the canyon with my bow, and it had 17 and 22 bullets in it, and there seems to just live with it. Oh, wow, that yeah, that must have been a nuisance bear and people just trying to get it the heck out of there. Oh, yeah, they just try to haze it out of your yard. I mean, I live right in town right now, and there's a bear hanging out here pretty much every night that the neighbors are complaining about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you ever run into much for cougars? Or Yeah, I've never killed a cougar, but I've I've seen only seven in my life out there. Um, I had one sneak up behind me. I was bear spring bear hunting in an old homestead canyon. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a pretty long hike up a railroad track, and you got to get up into this canyon. And it's a really old swampy area. It's really neat. There's some old apple trees in the back, and I'm sitting in the creek bed, and it, that puts me about just about my head showing at field level of this old field that I'm just waiting for a big mature boar to come down in the evening. Mm-hmm. And I heard a little twig break behind me and it, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but I heard it and it sounded like a little squirrel or something. So I, I had my gun sitting on an alder limb and it was just kind of rested across two limbs there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just kind of standing there fighting off the mosquitoes mm-hmm. and waiting for a bear and a few minutes later, I turned around and right behind me, 10 yards behind me is a cougar hunkered down right there with its ears pinned back and it's wiggling its tail. And it was about ready to jump at me. Oh, and boy. so I pretty much freaked out, yelled, no cat. And I swung around and grabbed the gun and spun around and shot from the hip there too and hit it. And it flew up probably 30 feet up in the air kind of reminded me of a salmon jumping a waterfall it was wiggling its whole body as it was flying straight up in the air and then it landed on two feet like a kangaroo and it hopped straight towards me and i tried to knock it down with the barrel of my gun and it, it landed just out of my reach but it was i thought it was gonna come into me so i tried to hitting it like a bayonet on my barrel and just mm-hmm. poke it and it landed right in front of me out of reach and then just bolted out of there and uh, my heart was racing super hard. I was just like, holy crap. And I started regathering myself. And then I was thinking maybe there was another one with it. So I I look, went down to load a, uh, to chamber another bullet. And I realized that through the commotion of all that, I had tried to chamber one without even realizing it. And it was fouled up in there. So I had hammered it back and tried to push another one in there through all of that without even realizing it. But uh that was the that was the very next year is the first time I ever carried a, a sidearm in the woods with me was after that encounter. Mm-hmm. Um and I did that for a few years and then quit carrying the sidearm again. But you know, it made me think that, you know, there is a lot of animals around here with big teeth and big claws that can get you that are um, you know, probably know you're there and you don't know they're there. But that was that was a that was a pucker factor 10 there. <laughs> Big time. Yes, it is. Holy buckets. Well, oh my gosh. Well, I suppose 
after uh, getting the fear of God sent through me there, I think we're, we'll end right there. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for coming. I mean, just to give up your time, it, it really means a lot to me. And, and I also want to thank you for kind of taking me under your wing a little bit uh, when I was living in Oregon for two years. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I think that's how the hunting community should be. You know, we should support each other and um, and pass on the knowledge and, um, you know, yeah, and not be so uh, individualistic about it or trophy hunters or you see people that are really egotistical. I think it it's hunting such more of a community thing, you know, like the old days where you had the guys that went out and got the meat for the town, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of need to keep that alive a little bit. Yeah, you're exactly right, Rich. Exactly right. Well, anyway, for the rest of you, thank you for tuning in today. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, just email us at bucksandbales at gmail.com, and we hope to post some photos of Rich with some of his uh, Oregon trophies. Uh, Thank you for tuning in, and see you next week.